Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin-Taylor, the doo-doo diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless, and civil infrastructure industry, each week, I'll be bringing you industry know-how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Divas Smells Like Money podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of visiting with Sean Merriman, and he is the president and co-owner of Victory Trenchless out of Owings, Maryland. So welcome to the show, Sean. Susan, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I, I never in my life expected to be on a uh, a podcast with, with a name like that. But here we are in life, right? <laughs> here we are. Hey, and we both love the industry, right? And so, Absolutely. you know, um, I just would like you to share with the audience a little background because, you know, like me, you've been in the industry for quite a while and how you got your start and what made you decide to kind of, I would say, branch out on your own and we'll take a little dive into why you chose the technologies that you decided to go with in order to do this and you know your take on some things that you're seeing that are really kind of exciting you about the future for the industry and so with that take it away tell us a little bit about you know you and you know how you got here harry uh great easy easy enough so um now, I got in the industry, I guess, about 15 years ago, maybe 16, something like that now, about, I think it was 2009, so I guess 14, 15 years ago, um, 2008, 2009. So I, I started my career in the civil engineering world, um, went to Virginia Tech and started doing civil design work for about six years or so. And just quite honestly, just I burnt out on being a CAD jockey. I got tired of drafting all the time, okay. um, which is funny because there's days now where I'm like, man, what I wouldn't do to just mindlessly sit here and draft for eight hours, uh, <laughs> but, you know. So, so I got out of that and um, stumbled into this to this industry, just like most people, you know, by chance. I don't think many people set out to get into this industry. I mean, I think it's becoming more of a thing now where people are going to colleges and, you know, in different, you know, um, avenues that bring you directly into it. But um, stumbled into the industry with actually with a UV cured in place pipelining company for a little while for about 10 months and then made a, uh, a move into another regional uh, felt thermal cure predominantly lining company and then helped pioneer you know them getting into uh uv market and some different markets and um spent 10 years there and then went to left um started wanting to get entrepreneurial and wanted to figure out a way to try to buy a company and and do something and and tried some things there and it was never able to to make that happen uh but then went to work for a pe firm that had recently bought a, a company that i had made a run at trying to purchase and they uh, came out and reached out to me and said, hey, you tried to purchase this company, come work for us. And went and tried that for a little while and ended up not being a great fit. I was kind of stuck between the selling management and the private equity firm. And no one really knew where my allegiance was. And I was kind of an outcast. So it was an awkward situation. And then 
um, made one more switch to another company, uh, which was a national company, which was um, a, uh, a publicly traded company at the time. And then after an acquisition from that company to another private equity company, decided it was time to just go the startup route, right? I, I hadn't been successful trying to team up with private equity and, and buy a company. Um, I kind of feared the startup thing, to be quite honest. I had said I didn't want to be a startup. You know, the cost of capital and the, right. the barrier to entry to do business like this is is high. It's it's tough, right? And there's a lot of competition in the marketplace that's much more established. So the startup thing kind of feared me, you know, kind of scared me. I was, you know, it was really, you know, I was very fearful, actually. Um, and then finally decided we were going to do it and figure out how to make it work. And um, but decided in doing so, we didn't want to go in doing what everybody else was doing. We wanted to have differentiators and create something where we were a niche in the market in a market that doesn't really have a lot of niche. Um, it does and it doesn't. Um, you know, at the end of the day, you're still competing against the other products, et cetera. But you can do things a little bit differently, create a niche for yourself and try to make yourself um, stand out and even an asset to the other companies that could be considered competition. So that's kind of what we we decided to do. We started working on it, uh, my wife and I, and uh, middle of 2022, probably June, July timeline. We incorporated in September of 2022. And by February of this year, we were putting liners in the ground. So we're about six months in and in, in, in putting liners in with Victory now. And I think we just eclipsed the six mile mark of, of liners installed. Um, so we've got two crews working full time. And that's the, the, the two, I don't know, was that maybe two minute version? Of, uh, okay. of how we got from 2009 to, to 2023. Well, that works. I mean, so how did you decide, you know, you had worked in lining, I guess, and so that was like a comfort level for you. But when you were talking about differentiators, because there's lots of competition, there's, you know, CIPP, even UVGRP, it's been around for a while. What have you been doing in the company to really set yourself apart, that, that differentiator of, Oh, another lining company. What makes you so different that I would want to hire you or invite you to bid on this project that I've come, you know, that I've got coming up, you know, and 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 then I want to, you know, as a startup, because there may be people listening, you know, tell me about those differentiators. But as a startup, how have you, I guess, broken ground to get that door open as the new kid? on the block in an area, which I would have to say, you know, coming from the East Coast, there is a lot of competition with some very, very well-established firms that have a strong foothold. Like, you know, what has been your your method of basically getting that door open for them to consider you? I know it's a big question to ask, but- A lot to unravel there. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. like a, that's a lot to unravel. So, I mean- you know, I think a lot of it has to do with, so I'm going to start with the differentiator. Well, you know, let, let's not, let's, let's start with, with kind of how we kind of got here and some of the things we kind of did up front. So, you know, I fell in love with the industry almost immediately. Um, I shouldn't say this out loud. Maybe people might not like hearing this, but, uh, you know, I came into the industry, I was um, 27, 28 years old. Um, I had a mentor, um, I'll name him, a gentleman named Mel Willett, who, I love to death and um, an Amliner East who I worked under for 10 years and he opened every single door for me. He wow. almost from my three months into working for him, 
would let me be in any meeting I wanted to be in, would let me have access to anyone in the industry I wanted to, go to anything I wanted to. I mean, he opened every single door to me. He showed me the roadmap. Um, so, I mean, I love him to death. I owe everything. You know, I love that man. But, you know, because of that, I was able to to see who the players and who was running the industry and who the power players were in the industry. I was 28, 29 years old looking at a bunch of gentlemen who I was growing to admire, but they were 58, 62, 65. They were the guys who pioneered the industry from the from the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. There had not been a turnover yet. So I identified at 28, 29, 30 years old that there was such a potential for guys my age to be the next generation to start running this industry at an earlier age because there hadn't been an initial flip turnover. It's a weird thing, but you know, I kind of recognized that there was a lot of potential oh. in this industry and I loved what we did and I, I, I bought into it and I'm, you know, I'm an environmental science major with a chemistry minor. I like technology. I actually like understanding how the liners work. It's not just, follow these steps and you get a hard liner. I'm all about the chemistry and understanding the materials and the products. So I was a material and product geek too, which a lot of people in the industry aren't. They know that you put heat to it, it gets hard. You put light to it, it gets hard. I'm very much into that. So all of that kind of came together for me where I was like, I'm going to make a home in this industry and, and move forward. So I, I grew very quickly to love the industry and, and really try to dive into it and, you know, go my own route. So with that, you know, while, while working, you know, with, with Mel and Amliner and, and doing a lot of things there, we did a lot of starting up and getting into the UV market as the UV, you know, came over and came available. We got into doing some other technologies and I was all in and, and you know, that was my world. I loved it. So, you know, so as, as I went through life and kind of got to the point where I was ready to do this startup and try to figure out things we were going to do. I've been planning how I wanted to run a business for the last 10 years of my life. I've been planning... Uh-huh how in my head I want to do things that set you apart um, that I could never get accomplished at other places, which is why I kind of always knew I wanted to do my own thing. So I knew that I wanted to set ourselves apart by handling our deliverables better because the deliverables, a lot of times in our industry become an afterthought, you know, creating hard pipe becomes fourth, you know, the the most important thing and creating deliverables becomes secondary. And I've said for a long time that we don't get paid for creating hard pipe. We get paid for providing deliverables that show that we created, you know, built a hard pipe. Um, It's, you know, the inspector, the engineer, the client isn't jumping down in the manhole and tapping the pipe. They're watching CCTV and looking at your curing logs, right? That's what you submit. So I've I've always felt that there needs to be a better focus on making that package, what it needs to be and doing those type things. There's, you know, there's lots of things that I've always wanted to streamline, you know, how we get information to and from the field, automating things that I've never been able to accomplish. So a lot of that was on my mind from the day, you know, first day. And a lot of those things are the things that now that we look at as di- differentiators, that that's what's going to set us apart and how we do things, excuse me, versus how the industry has maybe always done things or the way that things have always been acceptable. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to do some of that. Um, some of the other stuff we we did is, you know, we really, because we've, it's always been in my mind that I wanted to do it. You know, there's always been a game plan of who I've wanted to bring with me to do, to do this you know, who we've wanted in what positions, how we've wanted to set those up. So a lot of that game plan, you know, wasn't happenstance, right? It didn't start, you know, I I say we started this thing, you know, really started trying to build it middle of last year, but it's, you know, the map has been there for, for you know, six, eight, 10 years being built, just waiting to, to actually do it. That's really I'm cool. I'm not sure how much of your question I answered there. I just yeah, kind of started You answered going. it because it leads me into, 
you know, you started to embrace, and I would have to say, because I, I share the love of the industry because I've had many yeah. mentors myself, the, I call the old sewer dogs, you know, the guys that have been around forever. Yeah. And I think that's what makes you fall in love with the industry. It's the technology is cool. Yes. But it's at the heart of it. It's the people. And the people mm -hmm. in this industry are made up of some of the most, the only way to describe it is salt of the earth. And they have a true generosity of spirit. And if they sense that someone wants to learn, like, like you mentioned, his name was Mel, right? Yeah, that, Mel, yeah, Mel Willard. That, that he saw that you were like a sponge and you just wanted to soak it up. And so for him, that was like, well, then, let me dump a bucket of water knowledge, you know, a bucket of knowledge on you and, and make it available to you. And that's something that I don't think you find in, there's some industries, but I mean, it's just rampant in our industry to open the door and really mentor people because we are in, in many ways, a thankless industry. You know, people don't yeah. understand what we do. It's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But for us, it's out of sight, top of mind. And so I think, you know, I, I love what you were saying about that, because something you mentioned to me about that when you started this is that in establishing this company, and, and I think it is one of your differentiators and probably why you're able to do the things that you're doing as you're growing, um, is that accountability. And I want you to kind of explain what you meant by that when you told me about that for the organization, because I think that that is something that whether you're a new company, in growth, or even established, that having that is that thing that is going to make the difference between whether you stay where you are, or whether you really make an impact in the industry and grow. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so one of the things, um, and I'll take one little step back into part of the, you know, I probably should have answered in the first question, you know, part of, part of the things that, you know, has, has made us be able to do what we've done kind of as quick as we have is, you know, myself, I've got 14, 15 years, whatever it is, I, you know, my, whatever my map is in the experience now, you know, one of the gentlemen that I brought over with me immediately who I knew I wanted to be here, you know, he's been in the industry since six months before I was born. He's got 41 years of experience, right? So a lot of what we brought over that has allowed us to do some of what we have is contacts, right? I mean, this, this industry is, is built on contacts. It's built on those old sewer dogs, you know, their, their contact and their, their book of work, you know, and who they've worked for and with is, is unbelievable. Um, so that's, that's part of it, you know, so part of the way that we've been able to get work so far in, in line work up is, is on the reputation of myself and, and the people that we brought with us as we did this. Um, and that was all well thought out. That was all part of the strategy on, on how we were going to build the company. Right. Um, you know, obviously we, 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 we don't want to go out and, you know, you mentioned that it's a competitive market on the East Coast. There's a lot of well-known established lining companies who are either extremely strong regionally or they're nationwide companies. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a tough market. I mean, so we didn't want to come out the gate trying to take on a bunch of these companies head on. We wanted to create ourselves as a, as a more of a niche company who could be an asset to them, right? We can fill in work that they either can't do, don't want to do, isn't, isn't, doesn't fit their, their agenda or it's UV cured and, and they're a, they're a felt steam based company, but they don't want to lose out on, on servicing a client who may want UV now or whatever. Right. So, so we really tried to set out trying to be friendly with the competition instead of putting a target on our back and, and having a full on, 
you know, we're going to be out there trying to bid and take work from you. That That's not who we want to be. And quite honestly, that's not ever where we want to be. Um, we're, we're not, it's not what we're trying to set up. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how we, you know, set it up to be able to have work and, and go to start. And we have friendly clients and then we find contract vehicles or, you know, ways to, to be able to negotiate work as well. So that that's helpful as well. But again, that comes from having clients and having a reputation in the industry. You know, we're not some guys who started a new company who haven't been around the industry and and, and know who the players are and know where the work is. And that's, that's been extremely helpful. Um, and on the accountability piece. So, you know, you know, I, I think that you know, when we had our initial conversation, you know, inevitably the conversation or the question that you get a lot as a, as a new business or a startup is, you know, one form or another of what keeps you up at night? What are you worried about? What scares you? Right. That's, you know, and, and everybody's expecting to hear, you know, getting work, getting employees, being able to buy equipment, financing. Right. That's that's the answers you expect to hear. And then like. I mean, none of that came easy. Right. It's it's all it's all hard. It's all work. It's all a grind. But that wasn't what kept me up. That wasn't what bothered me. Everything that bothered me was about how do we build the right culture of this company? Like, how do we. Wow. How do we get everybody on the same page, pulling in the same direction? And and everything that kept coming back to me was accountability. And it wasn't, you know, accountability, you know, everybody's accountable to me. It's we're all accountable to one another, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 guys who are, who are who are working really, really hard in the field, putting liners in the ground or really have the hard jobs, you know, they have accountability to to, you know, hitting production goals, being safe, building quality work, you know me and, and folks in the office who are estimating or going and getting that work, we have the accountability to put work in front of them that they can do, you know, safely with good production to meet their production rates that we need. So, you know, there's a level of, of being accountable to each other up and down the organization. And we're still saying, you know, we're starting out small enough at two crews that we can have a lot of roundtable meetings. We can have a lot of bring everybody in before we go and really start working having conversations, building that understanding with one another that it's an open book, it's an open door, ask the questions, let's have the conversations. You know, these are your responsibilities that you're accountable to us for. And these are the responsibilities, you know, that we're accountable to you for. And and really trying to create that that uh, that culture and atmosphere where everybody's comfortable with that and comfortable to enough to call it out, right? If 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 something's unreasonable, right? If I put if I put guys on a job and tell them I need X number of feet and X number of man hours to meet budget on this job, and two weeks into the job, they're like, yeah, that's not going to work. I need that information back because I need to know the next time I have a job like that, I estimate it differently to give them different goals. So, you know, we need that kind of ability to be honest with one another. And it's not a one-way street that everything is going from from the office and from you know management, so to speak. And I don't even like that word, but management, you know, being pushed down to the field, just go get work, and whatever execution happens, happens. That's mm. you know that that's what we were really trying to avoid. We were trying to create this two-way you know level of accountability, and you know we have a thought process and a mantra that you know what's what's good for us is good for them, right? We're trying to set up a lot of things and a lot of different. Um, you know, programs and incentives to where we all win together, so to speak. Um, when we have victories, we share in them. So that's that's kind of where we're at on that accountability piece. I mean, it's a work in progress. Obviously, it's all it's all good speak. It's all good, right. you know, in theory. Um, 
and and we're well on our way in building it but it takes time and and sure you know the goal is is that as we're two crews we get it built so that when we build crew three it's a natural progression that that's what you know transpires through the company and it's you know the culture that we set that's what a culture should be right it should carry itself forward once you get it set and created and you can't let it flip the other way because then that carries forward so that's that's where we're headed it's what we're trying to do anyway yeah, as someone who works a lot with, you know, workplace culture, you know, you're you're speaking my language, you know, preaching to the choir here, because I've heard, you know, I don't want to name names where I've heard this, but there's been like a lot of talk and surveys as to why we're losing so many people in the industry, why people are jumping ship and, you know, hopping from place to place. And the the consensus is a lack of true leadership skill on the part of management. And I think it's that not that they don't want to, but many people in this field have come up through the ranks and yeah. maybe been promoted to a position because they had seniority or, you know, if, if or, or I'm going to take the position, I'm going to take the position because if I don't, then they think I'm not going to interest in the growth in the company. But they, they may be a person that is loves to do field work and doesn't want to manage. Yeah. Or maybe doesn't even have the skill set to do that. And it's being able to recognize, you know, draw from the strengths and to not just promote for the sake of promoting, but making sure that you're putting the right people in place because not only could you lose that person because they get frustrated because now they're in a job yeah they're making more money but they they hate their job or you know the people under them that are like this guy is just not management material and we need to be good leaders if we're going to grow we have to be strong leaders and what i'd love your take on that you know because you worked your way up you know, through the ranks, but you know, you've got a college degree, but in a scientific background, how, yeah. how do you see, and maybe I should ask this question, how do you see the people that are contractors that are fantastic technicians, what do they need to work on skill set wise to be good managers? Like, what do they have to focus on to make that shift from being a technician? To being an entrepreneur, because that's really what it is. Yeah. It's going from the field into entrepreneurship. It's a big leap. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's you, you're 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 talking my language right now. So right. So I have to get out of my 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 head a little space to start talking marketing and developing. You know, that's out of my headspace. But you're talking right in my headspace right now. And it's funny. I literally had this conversation over dinner with some with with uh with one of our suppliers who was in town yesterday, which is why I was out on a job site till 1:30 this morning uh, with him as we were doing night work. And we uh, over dinner had this almost well exact conversation. Um, I like to say we all have ceilings, and that's not always the nicest thing to say, but we all have a ceiling. I have a ceiling. You have a ceiling. People have ceilings, right? I'm a very, very big proponent of understanding your strengths and weaknesses and accepting them. I like to surround myself with people who have different strengths than me, who, you know, um, you know, so that we, uh, what's the word? I'm, 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 I'm sleep deprived. We, uh, well, you shore each other up. 
is exactly, yeah. you know, yeah. you fill the gap that they have and they fill the gap that you have. And together you make you make a strong exactly. Yeah, there's a perfect word for that, but I can't think of it at the moment, but that's okay. But you're right. So that we work together and we fill each other's voids and, and we, you know, support each other. And, you know, I'm a huge proponent of that, right? In this industry, I see a lot and we've had these conversations through previous employers that I've had. And we've had, you know, some people agree, some people disagree, but, you know, we we promote people a lot of times for the wrong reasons. Um, superintendents coming from the field, unfortunately, are the ones that it happens to more than any. It may be that they are you know 50 52 years old and physically the demands are really tough on that position and they i don't want to say they age out but physically it becomes tougher but they've been a good employee they have a wealth of knowledge that you don't want to lose so you find some kind of role that fits for them you call them an operations manager or an assistant operations manager or you try to put them on a project management track um to get them out of the field you do those type things um and it's tough right i get it there's a human element to it right that person's been a great employee for you they've and I understand all of that, but, you know, back to what you said, you're putting them in a, in a position not to succeed. And at the end of the day, you're happy because you may be making more money. You're happy because you're not out in the field doing and, and, and you know, beating your body up, you know, doing hard manual labor. But you're also not happy because you're not fulfilled because you're not doing a great job. You're doing something that you're fighting to create to do a job that you don't have a skill set that that and you're trying to learn. So it's it's a really, really difficult situation. It's difficult conversations. Um, one of the problems that I think is and we and this came out of the conversation we had last night, um, is that we we tend to want to set caps on 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 um you know salary or earning caps on positions, right? Um so so someone's been here long enough that they are capped out as a superintendent. And we get this mentality that we can't pay a superintendent more than that. So now that he's due for a raise, he's got to go on to a project management track because I can pay a project management more manager more than a superintendent. But he doesn't have the skill set. So we try to square peg round hole because John's due for a raise. And now I can't pay him that much as a superintendent. And I think that's really narrow minded thinking, because at right. the end of the day, if John's a really, really good superintendent, he's your best superintendent. He's more valuable to you as a superintendent than a oh. subpar project manager making more money. Um, and that's where I think we need to be honest with ourselves and honest with our employees. That's, and again, that's part of that accountability thing, right? You've got to be honest with the people on your team of what their value to the company is, what their strengths are and where you need them. And unfortunately there are times when hard decisions have to be made. If someone physically isn't able to do the job that unfortunately is their ceiling or this, that, and the other, you know, those, those conversations, things have to be made. And, and obviously, you know, as an owner of a business, it's a business decision. If you're willing to carry them and put them in another position and able to do so, then more power to you. That's your business decision, right? You can do that. Um, if you're not able to, then then that's when, you know, decisions have to be made. But I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's a very complex and a very difficult, um, you know, and, and the guys coming from the field, you know, a lot of them, it's it's the computer stuff. It's learning, you know, to use spreadsheets and Excel. Um, there's opportunities out there for night classes and things like that, but it's tough. It's a demanding job to be out in the field and then trying to go and and, and learn some of those skill sets. So, you know, as an employer, I mean, you know, if we, you know, in our if we were large enough and big enough, right, you could go and and, and put them in training and and you know, fun training sessions and do those type things to bring them along in the positions that you want. 
you know, not everybody's got a company in the, in the kind of funds behind you to do those type of things. So it's, it's a, it's a very tricky one, in my opinion. It's, it's very tough. Sean, that was just a great point, you know, earlier when we were talking about, you know, ceilings, but also understanding that you don't want to put, you know, understanding someone's ceiling, but right from the get go, never really wanting to set a cap on their potential until you've got a chance to really see, test their metal. What, what are they really made of? And so, you know, you had shared with me when you bring a new person on kind of how you, how you approach that as you're bringing a new person on to the team and, um, you know, explain what you meant about just because I'm bringing you in here, that's not where I want you to stay. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. I, I love that you use the word team because we don't call anything around here. We, we well, we try as hard as we can to break old habits. We try not to call anyone crews, try to call them teams because we're trying to build, you know, a team mentality. Um, but yeah, so, you know, we're very adamant in the interview process and we're we're trying to find people, I you know, I have an absolute refusal. I won't hire someone to be a body. I won't hire someone on a need base because we just have to have someone out there. Um, we'll, we'll figure something else out first. Um, luckily it hasn't came to that, but that that's our mentality. And, you know, we really want to talk to people. Um, you know, when you're hiring new people, obviously you're, you know, unless you're hiring a CZDD cutter or something that's got experience, typically hiring someone to start as a laborer and, and start, you know, learning, what it is we do, right? We're not a market that people have typically been in yet. Um, if you're hiring an inexperienced guy, we're always really adamant. Like we're going to hire you and bring you on as a laborer. We're going to start you here. But we try to map out what that future looks like. We really try to be very concerted in saying, you know, we want you to start as this, learn the process, take the first 60 days to learn how everything works, what we're doing. But then we want you to start learning this piece of equipment and have it hopefully somewhat mastered in this amount of time, you know, and we try to lay out what that future looks like, you know, um, you know, we try not to get too much in, too deep into the compensation part of it, but we try to talk about what the growth potential is for them in the company, you know, what the path is to be a superintendent, what the path is to be a CCTV cutter operator. You know, we try to have conversations about what are your, you know, what are, what are your interests? What are you into? Are, are you, are, you know, are you a guy who loves to go hiking and, and do physical manual labor and, and build cabins in your spare time? Or are you a guy who likes to play video games in your spare time in the basement, right? So, you know, are, are you more into the hard physical labor or would you be better suited on a, on a CCTV cutter operator because you like, you know, you're comfortable with that? Um, so we try to figure those type things out and really, you know, set up set a path for a guy to where it doesn't feel like a dead end job, you know? We don't want them to come in as a laborer and think that they're a laborer and that's what they're going to be for the rest of time. You know, the idea here, especially starting as a, as a, as a new company, we're at two crews, right? We want to go to three crews. So the faster we get, you know, three, four, five experienced laborers who, who have it down and know what they're doing and are moving up, ready to be a CCTV cutter operator, ready to be a jet operator or, you know, or whatever, the faster we can go to those crews and actually put experienced people in place Versus sitting there like, well, we have two cutter operators and eight laborers. Like that doesn't get you to three crews. Um, so, you know, that's, I think, you know, helping us keep, you know, and the employees that we want to keep and helping us keep people in place and putting things out there in front of them to go to go do. And, 
you know, I, I think that's important. I think people need that. You know, you, you mentioned earlier about trying to get younger, more skilled people in the industry. Younger people, you know, it's a different generation. Younger people are working to support their lifestyle. You know, they work to live. Or, you know, my parents' generation, you know, your parents' generation, they lived to work. That was, you know, you got a job at the factory or wherever and you put your 30 years in and that was life. That was, you know, and that was a good, hard work, hard earned life. You know, today's generation is very different. They they work to get a paycheck to, to to go travel, see the world, support their family, do the things they want to do. So you've got to, you've got to, you know, you, I don't want to say you have to cater to that, but you've got to embrace that and understand it's about lifestyle. It's about what you can, you know, can do. I mean, you know, we're, we're trying to set up a mentality here and we've been very strict with it so far as much as we can. We're, we're trying, you know, our guys travel, right? This industry, the people, they, they travel, they're away from their family. They're staying in a hotel four nights a week, five nights a week. We're trying to do four day work weeks. We're trying to do four long days and get the production that we need. Give guys four days on, three days off. Um, you know, we're trying to do things like that to incentivize and take care of the guys to make it a worthwhile place that they want to be, so that they want to make it su- to succeed as much as we do. That's you know, I have my my associate in, in the business. You know, we have a course on hiring. And, and training now. And one of the things that he says in one of the modules for hiring is this, most people aren't looking for a job. They're looking for a love affair. And I really love that because I think that is true. And that if it's just someone that's looking for a paycheck and not really looking to get involved with something that they're going to embrace and just love to get up in the morning because, oh, what am I going to do today? Um, that probably isn't a really good fit. But I do believe that, you know, most people truly are looking for that right fit of that love, that, that thing that they can love and be a part of and make it feel like it's their, you know, an extension of their, their family outside of their personal life. Something to feel that they're, you know, we all need it. We all need to feel accomplished. We all need to feel like we're accomplishing something like we're something, we're part of something bigger than ourselves as part of that team mentality. And that's, that's kind of what the push is towards. Yeah. You know, it's, it can be cheesy. It can, you know, it can come across sometimes. It can be whatever. But at the end of the day, I mean, if if we keep building that way and we make the right hires and get enough buy-in, you know, the, the people who want to be here for the right reasons and and are getting what they need from us in return, you know, will, will take care of itself. And and the ones who aren't here for the right reasons, and you know, and, and quickly and honestly, if the right people start leaving, we'll know that we're not holding up our side. Of giving them what they need in return to make it worth their while. So it's a, it's a give and take. And again, it's, it, it goes back to like everything. It's cycled back to that accountability to each other, right? We're, we both have a part to play in that dance. And if we play it right, the right people will be here and we'll be successful and we'll be successful together. And if we don't, it's the other side of the coin, obviously. Yeah. And, and the other thing is, you know, we're trying to get younger people to come into the industry. And and I think you're doing it the right way in staying on top of, you know, we're going to continue our conversation in another episode about, you know, new technologies and, you know, where do you see the future going for Trenchless? I think maybe one of the struggles, um, this is a difficult thing to just come out and say, but young people want to see that we're being innovative, that we're looking at new things, that we're trying new things, that we're trying to incorporate new technologies, new methodologies, something that they can get excited over. And as an industry, if we don't show that we've got something new to offer 
they're not going to be excited to enter the field. It's we need to, you know, I, I think it's more on, I don't want to bash anybody here, but I think it's more on, you know, maybe the utility level of, well, that's the way it's always been done. Well, does yeah. that necessarily mean that that's the always the way that you should consider doing it or keep on doing it when there's something else better out there? And so unless we're giving people a reason to get excited, they're not want to get going to want to get involved in an organization that is using the term like old school, old school, when they look at it and say, well, you know, there's like five apps out there that could do that in a lot less time. And yeah. if you're not willing to incorporate that or embrace that, and it sounds like you are, you know, when you're, you're running lean, a lean, mean machine is that how can we improve processes? You know, what do we need to add to make this exciting, to make our jobs easier? And I think a lot of that and where the industry really has to shift that mindset is they need to be less fearful of technology and embrace it. You know? Yeah. And I think you're seeing a little bit more of that with, with some of the, you know, some of the turnover in the industry. And I think you are seeing some more companies, you know, uh, and, and, and a lot of it comes down to holding um, some of the software and some of the people who, you know, create the equipment, create the software that, that runs, you know, CCTV, you know, and a lot of them have really taken taken hold of it. You know, a lot of the the PACP compliance software and some of the things that are out there are much much more advanced than what the contractors are taking advantage of. Um, to be quite yeah. honest, and I, and I think that there's there's definitely some contractors out there who are trying to leverage that and use it to streamline their operation, and there's others who are resistant to it and want to do it the way they've always done it. Um, but you're right. That is one of the things that we're really trying to take full advantage of, right? We're, we're buying the software, we're paying for it, we're using it. Let's take full advantage of everything it can do for us to try to streamline our process. If we can eliminate two steps in the chain that it takes to get deliverables from the field to the office, then we need to do that, right? I mean, it, you know, if, you know, we never want there to be a problem, but if there is a problem, the sooner we can see it and assess it, the faster we can make decisions. So, you know, in our scenario, you know, typically if we finish lining a pipe at five o'clock or six o'clock in the afternoon by seven or eight o'clock, wherever I'm at in the world, I can watch the CCTV of that. So if I get a call that, you know, X or Y happened and, you know, what do we need to do? If there's a corrective action we need to do, we can make the call that evening and either you're back there that evening or you go back there and start your day that morning and get it fixed instead of finding out about it a week and a half later. Right. Um when deliverables come in the office and you've got to remobilize and all that costs money, right? Every time you have to go back to a site. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of reasons to want to do those type things. Um, it helps, you know, you can, you can bill much faster, you can get your invoices in. So there's a lot there that, you know, I think a lot of companies are, are, are buying into now. I don't think we're, the, we're obviously not the only ones. A lot of people are probably further along even than we are, but there's definitely a lot of folks out there that are still wanting to do it the way they've always done it. Um, There's a lot no. of opportunity, Sean, I think, too. You know, I was I had a gentleman on the podcast I, when I can't remember when the, the episode's coming up, but he said, you know, there are entities like federal government, if you're interested in federal contracting, where they're actually looking for solutions. And so they're reaching out to vendors and saying, you know, or people, we've got this problem. We are looking for a solution or help in writing the spec. Well, what an amazing opportunity, because if you're a person that has that solution, you're going to be part of helping them write that spec 
And of course, it's going to be to your advantage. And I think it's the same way with technology. Is it where you're saying take full advantage of everything that that, you know, you buy that software, but you may not be aware of all the things that it has under the hood and to really ask your vendor. So what else can it do? And so what else can it do? And maybe even establish, um, you know, I did some work with some PACP software firms in the past is that they actually wanted their customers to come to them and say, what is, you know, we're constantly evolving this. What's the next big thing that you would like to see that would make, you know, we don't want to develop something and hope that that's what you need. Tell us what you would like to see. So you become part of that process of developing the next product that's going to make your life easier. And so I think contractors and anybody that's using tools needs to have that relationship with their vendor. Be part of what you, the development of what you want. Absolutely. And I, I, I think that's great. I mean, I, I hope that more of them do it, you know, much, you know, much to that conversation, you know, I've alluded to being out to dinner last night and out on the job site last night with one of our, you know, main equipment suppliers. That's exactly what we were doing. Talking to the guys as we're curing liners, as we're, as we're cutting taps, you know, what's what's great about the equipment what could make it more efficient how could it be set up differently you know so that you know if this is a you know gen 2 what you know what improvements can be made when we build gen 3 when we order the next set of equipment stuff like that so i mean that's exactly what we were doing um not on the software side more on you know hard equipment side but you know same concept and you're right it's it's important to be in touch with your with your you know your clients uh, from from their side and for us you know going back to them with with what we need and that's 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 what needs to push and drive the industry. And people, you know, from the contractor side need to be wanting to drive that change. And I hope that that becomes more of a thing because, you know, the, the first, you know, portion of my career, it seemed like that was very stale in the industry and that things were very hesitant to change. People were fighting the change. I think in the last maybe five, six, eight years, more companies have started embracing the change and have started recognizing that, you know, going with the emerging technologies and the new technologies is a way to differentiate yourself. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping we see more of that as we go so that the technologies keep taking off versus staying stagnant. Yeah. Well, Sean, thank you for sharing some of your, you know, your startup journey tips. I think there's, there were some great golden nuggets in there. And for those who are listening that would like to know more about Sean and his company and the services they provide and the areas that they serve, how can they learn more? Um, we've, we've got a web presence on a website. It's uh, victorytrenchless.com. Um, you can find our information there. And obviously you can uh, reach out to us, reach out to me. We'd be happy to fill you in, tell you what we're doing. Um, obviously, I don't mind talking about it and, uh, you know, get out there and see what we can do. That's great. And uh, for those of you who tuned in, we're going to continue this conversation with Sean in a follow-up episode to talk about advancements in trenchless, primarily in cured in place pipe and, you know, where it's been, where it is now, applications that we may not have even thought about, and, you know, where it's going. And it almost sounds like from what Sean has shared offline that sky's the limit here. So, Tune in again and thank you for joining us. And until next time, keep it flowing. Thanks so much for joining me, the Doo Doo Diva, on this week's episode of Smells Like Money. 
what stood out to you this week? Share your takeaways by leaving me a review. You can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you want to learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trenchless, you've got it all right here at Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting calendly.com forward slash the Tuit group forward slash B dash A dash podcast dash guest or simply click the link in the show notes below. Until next week, a big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be. You are my superheroes. Thanks for tuning in, keeping it flowing, and we'll see you all next week.